I'm going to do my best with the names here, okay? You'll see what I'm talking about. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. This is God's holy and infallible word. Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful for me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas in my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. That concludes 2 Timothy. So th- this is sort of a, a choppy bunch of verses uh, com- compared to what we usually get from Paul. In fact, one of our elders uh, last week had kind of looked ahead and said, are you going you know, to preach those verses or what are you going to do? And I said, I'm planning on it. I don't know the plan yet, but you know, they're, they're kind of choppy, especially if you consider uh, what we normally get from the Apostle Paul. Very, very organized. He's got a, a theme you know, even last week's verses, 6, 7, and 8, they're so deep, they're so organized. You know, we saw how Paul deliberately there is talking about he has his whole life before his eyes, his present, his past, his future. You know, and we saw that he's always content, has no regrets, he's looking forward to this certain victory. Uh, the end of the book, it, by comparison, it almost seems a little random. It's like, uh, you know, stream of consciousness writing. It's like he, he, he writes one thing and says, oh yeah, and, and do this too, and, and, and remember that. It reminds me almost of a to-do list. You know, very brief points. He just goes from one little thing to the next. Paul, I'm, I'm going to kind of just, just follow through if, if you got your Bibles open, or you can just listen. Paul wants Timothy to visit him, verse 9. Uh, remember, Paul's in prison in Rome, and Timothy was a young pastor he was mentoring in Ephesus. That was like a thousand miles away, a four to six month a trip in those days. And that's why he said, you know, get out, start, get here before winter, get going. And even though Paul's, you think, well, he's on trial, he, he, he knows his, the end is coming soon, why, how does he think Timothy could possibly get there in time to see him if it's four to six months? Well, he's probably counting on 
the notorious slowness of the Roman judicial system. Kind of not unlike our own courts, and it's probably because our legal system is pretty much based on the ancient Roman legal system, right? Paul and Timothy have this special relationship, of course. Paul is like a spiritual father to Timothy, and, and Paul wants to see his beloved son in Christ again before he dies, and he wants to spend time with them. <clears throat> then we read of Demas in verse 10 and a couple others. Yeah, says Paul, just so you know, Demas deserted me because he loved this world. In the book of Philemon, we read about Demas. This is kind of interesting. And, and Paul calls Demas a fellow worker. And then in Colossians, he's mentioned as a companion of Luke. And now he says this about Demas. So something went wrong. You know, and Paul identifies it here. That love for the world must have wormed its way into Demas's heart. You know, just like it can happen with us. It won out over the Lord and his kingdom priorities in Demas's life. And it's sad. Luke is with me, he says. He's the only one who stuck with him. This is Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. He's a physician. Paul says, oh, and, and bring Mark with you. We know that on an early missionary journey, Mark kind of bailed. He, he abandoned the group, and, and Paul was not happy with him at all, but they must have patched things up. He mentions Tychicus going to Ephesus, and the reason for that was he was going to be uh, the it was going to be an interim pastorate because Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. Timothy he wants in Rome, so he's sending an interim pastor. So Paul's thinking about church leadership and organization, even in prison. And then he goes to some uh, more mundane requests. Oh, and, and bring my cloak, he says. Paul must have really liked that cloak uh, to ask for it from hundreds of miles away, or else, I think more likely, he was uh, so poor, he had no other way to get one. I mean, we know this, everything this guy had, his talents, his mind, his very life, his money, it was used for the Lord. He was truly the living sacrifice. He called all Jesus' followers to be there in Romans 12. So he didn't have a spare cloak and he didn't have the spare change or whatever he needed saved up to buy another cloak. All he had was used for the churches, for ministry. And he knew God would provide for him. And that was just the nature of Paul's life and ministry, totally depending on the Lord. That's interesting to think about in our season of Thanksgiving, our place and time of relative abundance. I would, I would never advise giving all your money away so that you or your kids couldn't even afford a coat. But we could definitely have more of this attitude and, and more of this approach instead of hoarding up and keeping for ourselves just to be so generous with what we have for the kingdom, for the church, for those in need. It's, it's a very different approach to money and possessions than the world and the culture around us, the way people are living without Jesus. And so we have to very deliberately resist the greed 
and the selfishness around us so it doesn't creep in into our hearts and lives and, and just be giving people. And this is why offerings are a part of every worship service in, in most churches, certainly our church. It's because giving is a key kingdom value, and we see it right here with the Apostle Paul. Now, every year, our deacons give us a special opportunity and this special reminder to be generous with how we do our Thanksgiving offering, right? We get those Thanksgiving envelopes where the deacons give our top ministry causes and needs. Uh, They're on the sign-up counter. They're at the Welcome Center if you didn't get one as you went out of church the past two weeks. Well, this is a great week to look at how you've done this past year and, and to give generously to God's work here at Faith and Beyond. And however much or little each one of us has, we give cheerfully, we give generously as we've been blessed. And, and I, I'd encourage you to help keep our church budget healthy. Uh, we had an occasional offering for that budget we did this morning. Help keep our church budget healthy in particular so we can stay in a position of strength to give all kinds of places beyond ourselves like we always do. And then, then Paul says, bring the scrolls, bring the parchments. You know, that would likely be a copy of the Old Testament Scriptures. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Maybe some personal notes were there. Stuff he wrote down about Jesus and, and Christ's words and, and Jesus' life. Verse 14, Alexander the metal worker, watch out for him, says Paul. Be on your guard. He strongly opposed our message. Some people think this Alexander could have been the direct cause of Paul's current and what would be his last imprisonment. Could have been Alexander that turned him in. We don't know for sure. And then in verse 16, Paul brings up his current trial. The first defense, that was a specific Roman legal term referring to his preliminary defense hearing. No one was there with him. He had no advocate. I don't know how that is when he mentions Luke was with him. I can only guess maybe Luke came after that and was with him then. But he had no advocate. The great apostle Paul who reached all these people. It's incomprehensible. But it's amazing to see Paul's response. Let it not be held against them. He lets Timothy know that despite his situation, Jesus was there at his side. He tells how he trusts in the Lord's deliverance to see him through to heaven. And then he bursts out and prays, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God's got me, Timothy. He's going to keep me safe no matter how this turns out. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Then Paul goes to some more mundane things again. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, verse 19. We know these were Jewish believers, probably a married couple. Paul first met them in the city of Corinth. And they're mentioned like six times in the Bible. Usually, Priscilla, the wife, is first, which would probably mean she had a more prominent role in the ministry or in the church. And I, I have to say this with Priscilla and Aquila. 
Uh, when I was in high school, our family had a couple parakeets, and we named them Priscilla and Aquila. And that's the sort of cool thing seminary professors' kids do. So I, I'm, I don't want to mess you up, but every time I see Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible, I think of a, I think it's a green and yellow parakeet of ours. Paul mentions a few more people. He ends with the last four names that are all Latin names. Eubulus, Pudence, Linus, Claudia. So these were likely believers in Rome. One of the more interesting things here is to imagine what would happen. Imagine the meeting when Timothy and Mark would arrive with the parchments. And remember, Luke is already there. So when they all come, it's going to be Paul and Luke and Mark and Timothy getting together, talking, sort of a planning committee for the church going forward. And you can bet they poured over the scrolls and the parchments and discussed them together. Because out of this group, it just so happens that about 60% of the New Testament was written. Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Luke, and Luke wrote Acts, and all of Paul's letters, many, many books of the Old Testament, maybe coming right out of this special meeting. And, and so, so we've got this sort of random to-do list. We know Paul knows he's near the end, but he's not laying around. He's not paralyzed with fear about his death or about how the trial's going to turn out. I mean, it's got to be looming over him. It doesn't paralyze him. It might have paralyzed me or you. It's business as usual. This guy doesn't quit. He had no computer or email in that dingy cell, but as long as he had life and breath, he was going to be faithful in the big stuff from ensuring leadership in the churches after he was gone to the little stuff like getting a cloak so he could be warm and comfortable enough to continue to do his work. Paul was indeed content in every circumstance, as he wrote somewhere else, right? And faithful in every situation. So, what do we do with this? What can we learn from this to-do list? I think we can learn from this to-do list when we realize the uniqueness of the Apostle Paul in the big history and sweep of salvation. Paul, remember, was appointed by Christ himself to establish the faith after Jesus' ascension. The history of that, which we read in the book of Acts, that is... Acts tells us it's the continuing history of the words and deeds of Jesus himself through the work of the apostles as they established the early church. Christ was working through them and in them in those days in a very special way that would never again be seen in history. And so the apostle Paul's words and his life reveal in a unique way Jesus' words and Jesus' example. So this is very different from reading a biography of just any great believer in history and learning from them. This is the Apostle Paul representing Christ himself and 
And so we can learn from this list here. I think two things especially. One, Jesus is at your side. He is. Jesus is with you. Jesus is at your side in your life. No matter what you're doing, no matter what you're facing, whether you're going out to buy groceries at Aldi, making a meal for your family, or, or the big things like, like facing a surgery or going through the loss of a loved one. Jesus is with you. Verse 17 is a gem. Everyone deserted me, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. In biblical times and at key points in the history of the Bible, the Lord spoke to people and talked to people. And of course, he's perfectly capable of doing that today if he wants to as well. Well, Jesus came to Paul and spoke to him a number of times. Usually, it was always in a dream or in a vision. But, kind of interesting, we read in Acts 23 in an earlier trial, that the Lord, it wasn't a dream, it wasn't a vision, the Lord, Jesus, actually came and stood right next to Paul in the night. And he said there in Acts 23, it's recorded, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Testifying in Rome is exactly what Paul is doing now And so remembering that time is probably why he says, the Lord stood at my side. So at that other time, the Lord Jesus was physically present, standing right there with him. What a blessing. Can you imagine it? The Son of God did did the same with the three men in the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel too. You remember that? Three went in, four were seen walking around. When Paul says it here, I don't think he means that Jesus in this Roman trial was physically present, because I think he's talking about when he was on trial. I think there were other people, they would have seen Jesus. But it's certainly, absolutely still accurate for him to say that Jesus was at his side. Jesus is fully God. He is everywhere present in his divine nature. He really, truly stands with us. He says, take courage. He gives us strength. Before he ascended into heaven, after Jesus had gone to the cross and rose again, remember this promise to his disciples? I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth. And then he sent his spirit to be with all who would call on his name in whatever circumstance of life we find ourselves, wherever we are. He delivered me from the lion's mouth, says Paul. I don't know, maybe he was thinking of Daniel being rescued literally from the lions. And here the lion's mouth probably means his death or whatever hardship. And even if death comes, and it would for Paul, Paul knows Jesus will rescue him and bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. So for all who put their trust in the Lord of Paul, that's a promise. One of those 
beautiful, precious promises from God. The Lord is at your side. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you're facing. Second, I think we can learn one more thing from this. I think we can learn that we shouldn't give up on people. And we're reminded that people are what the church is all about. I counted 17 different names in these verses. 17 people. The church, the mission of God, the proclamation of the gospel that Paul was about and that we're about, us building the household of faith, what we've been thinking about as we're studying 2 Timothy, well, it's about people in the end. For the great Apostle Paul who wrote Romans with that deep theology and he was so driven that he kept working to the very end in those circumstances. He had this passion to preach the gospel, went on all these missionary journeys. He was concerned in, in dealing with the administration of the church. It was all done for the benefit of people. The good news was for people. Jesus died and he rose again for people. Paul got this. I don't think he ever lost sight of this, although sometimes we can in the church as, as we try to get things just right, as we try to you know, lead a good meeting, organize our ministries, plan a nice worship service, keep the facilities up well. It's about people, all of it. It's for people, what we do for the Lord. And, and, and the great apostle Paul knew he needed people too. He wanted dear Timothy to come. There's a, a really tender passage in, in 2 Corinthians 7 about this too that I just wanted to want to read for you. It's 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 7, and it gives you just a little bit of an idea of how much people meant to him. 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 7, For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us. How? with a person, by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Though Jesus was at his side, he still knew he needed brothers and sisters in Jesus. You've maybe heard the story about the little boy who was so scared in his bed at night. He was frightened of the dark. Any of you kids ever been scared in the dark? I know I've been. His dad came in several times to try to settle him. The third time he said, but Sam, don't you know that Jesus is with you? And little Sam said, I know he is, Dad, but right now I just need someone with skin on. 
And we all need people with skin on. That's how God designed it. The church and building the church is always about people. And sometimes we think uh, the, the church would be kind of nice without people. There's a Peanuts cartoon where Linus shouts out, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Right? And we all feel that way sometimes. But even though people are imperfect, even though they do let us down, we don't get jaded about them. We don't get cynical. Look how people let Paul down. But he didn't get bitter about it in that cell. From dark prison, even as his eye is on the Lord as his ultimate comfort, his heart is reaching out to people. And he values those relationships yet. It's about people, warts and all. Jesus knows we need each other. And boy, I think a lot of us get that here at Faith Church. I see a graciousness for one another, even though we are imperfect and mess up. A graciousness for people even sometimes who may have wandered for a while, haven't been around, and they come back, and we receive them with love and care, and uh, we welcome them back to the family. For guests, newcomers as a church, we include them, we embrace them. For those in need, we step up. I just have to say my family and I are so grateful for you and your care and your support, your prayers since letting you know about this surgery in a few weeks. I, uh, I, I think I said last week I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to lay that, that burden on you and my family members. But I know I have to do it, and since I told you, I'm so glad I did. Um, Sarah and I and our four girls, we know... Jesus is at our side, don't we? Jesus is at our side, and we know God's people are at our side. And all of you are. We know it. How, how could we go wrong? And if this morning you're not part of a church or, or not a member maybe of this church, yet I'd really encourage you to join in. I can promise you God's people will be there for you too. And so, in the midst of your to-do list, you know, as you're going from one thing to the next in life, remember, Jesus is at your side. And guess what, too? The church is filled with wonderful people who care for you too. God is good. What a joy to belong to Jesus and to be part of his people, the church, you know, as we build the household of faith, and, and we do that alongside of many Bible-believing churches, praise God, but thinking about us, as we build the household of faith, think about this, we are nothing less than successors today of Christ and the apostles. We're carrying that on, and it's a big job. There are attacks, there are challenges, but you know what? Yes, we can do this. We can do it with Jesus at our side by being there for each other. Let's keep going strong, church. Loving Jesus, loving others. It's pretty simple, really. This 
being the church together and building church. It's pretty simple. It's not too complicated. So let's keep that before us in our, our thinking, our planning, our worshiping, our speech, our actions. Loving Jesus, loving people. That's what it's about. That's what we're doing.